Welcome to the Hands in Motion podcast, brought to you by the American Society of Hand Therapists. Here we will discuss all things upper extremity therapy, from assessment to treatment, the latest research, the patient experience, and other topics related to the field of upper extremity rehab. Learn more and subscribe today at ASHT.org. Hi, I'm Kara Smith. And I'm Stephanie Strauss. And we want to welcome you to the first episode of Hands in Motion, the podcast brought to you by the American Society of Hand Therapists. We are excited about our first episode as we have a special guest on to discuss the health equity lens. We are so excited to have our guest today, Rachel Piggott. She is the current ASHT president, and we've got a great topic tonight, kind of piggybacking on her presidential address that she presented this fall. And so welcome, Rachel. We're so excited to have you. It's so nice to join you guys, Kara. Thanks for inviting me. And it's really kind of exciting to be the first person to be able to be on this podcast. That's awesome. I'll tell you a little bit about myself. So I'm an occupational therapist. I got my bachelor's in OT from Towson University. As soon as I could get my CHT, I got it. So it was back in the olden days. So it took me five years. And then more recently, I got my master's in public health. I love volunteering. I have volunteer disease. So I volunteered for ASHT since 2009. I also volunteer locally for the Maryland Occupational Therapy Association. And then I also volunteer on something called the Maryland Health and Wellness Council for the state of Maryland that just tries to promote health and wellness for the people that live in Maryland. Wow, you're pretty busy. <laughs> I am. I have volunteering disease yeah, stuff. for sure. Like, don't yeah. we all have that, right? <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll kind of just jump right in. I know I just listened to your presidential speech and I thought the topic was an excellent topic. You don't really think of equity in the way that you presented it. And I felt that it is something that is often missed in our profession. So would you mind going ahead and explaining the difference between equality and equity in your mind? In my mind, and I would say I'm kind of a beginner with health equity. I'm not like a thought leader or anything like that. I'm just really passionate about it. And I think it's something very important for all healthcare providers to focus on because there are differences and disparities between groups of people. And in particular, I've learned about the differences within our own country. So to me, health equity is where each person has the chance at fulfilling the fullness of health for themselves. And that takes different supports for different people. So equality is where the same people are given the same support. I think of somebody from a higher socioeconomic status. They may not need as many structural supports to be able to even arrive to medical appointments. But somebody in a lower socioeconomic status, transportation can be a huge barrier to them receiving the care that they need. There's significant costs tied to the care. It may be costly in regards to time for them to be able to get to those appointments. For each person to get the same opportunity at living a fulfilled, healthy life, they may need different interventions from their provider, and they may need different resources from the healthcare system or even the community that they live in. Because many times, some of the differences in health can be influenced by the community in which people live. And so you even have to think bigger than just the healthcare system. Because if you just think about what I can do as a healthcare provider, sometimes you miss opportunities to decrease the burden of different diseases and things like that in the community by improving overall health. 
what I found personally, I know I kind of live in a rural area and I find that those in the lower socioeconomic bracket often do not get to appointments, miss appointments, like you were saying, and even insurance wise, you know, they might not be able to come to as many appointments as somebody who their insurance might be a little bit better. And I never really thought of that until I actually watched your speech going back and thinking, how are we going to be able to provide this type of equal care, I guess, to everybody, regardless of what their socioeconomic status is or their race or belief or whatever it may be. How do you suggest that we do that? Or how have you done that in your own practice? One of the first things you have to do is kind of learn about the topic. The title of my incoming presidential talk was looking through a unique lens. The reason I use that and I've learned that lingo from other people I've learned from, from different groups that I'm involved in that talk about disparities between people that talk about health equity And so we all hold unique lenses in how we move through the world, experience and see the world. The first thing is we have to recognize that we hold a certain lens. We may hold certain biases and kind of trying to explore anything within yourself that makes you think in a certain direction that could potentially affect your care for your patient. Because there is research that shows that there's differences in care in regards to racial groups when there shouldn't be. And some of that can be related to bias. So the healthcare provider bias, which is a concerning kind of thing. So the first thing I think we have to do is we have to explore bias ourselves. We have to explore and understand health equity ourselves. There's all these different terms that are used when you talk about different cultures that people move from. And so there's cultural competence, there's cultural humility, there's something called cultural comptability, which is kind of bringing things together between cultural humility and cultural competence. Cultural competence is kind of like gaining the skills that moves a little bit from the perspective of whiteness, where the white perspective is the dominant perspective. And other ethnicities or races are the others that you're to learn. Cultural humility moves a little bit from the perspective of recognizing that you have your own perspective that you're moving from that may influence your decisions and your behaviors, really exploring your own position and recognizing that you're probably never going to be a finished piece of work, that you're always going to be learning and exploring how you can be more self-aware and improve your interactions and engagement with those people that you're caring for as a healthcare provider. The biggest important part is that we should constantly be learning as healthcare providers. It's not something that like every year, sometimes we'll have like a variety of different competencies that we have to do, fire safety and all that kind of stuff, you know, like bloodborne pathogens. (laughs) Do you like how I changed my voice? (laughs) This really shouldn't be one of those things that we're like quick checking the box off. It's something to explore deeper, move from a humble perspective. You're not just obtaining this knowledge and then you're good. Check. I'm good. I know even myself for recently, you have that cultural diversity education that you need to follow through with. More recently, we had to do non-gender education, which is something that, yes, I know is out there, but how often um, do I come in contact with that? Not as much as when I worked in a bigger city, but it was interesting how they were being sensitive to even that non-gender specific checkbox now that we have, which is male, female, non-gender. So I do see us moving forward with that 
and be able to complete that with thought, not just watching the video and turning it off, saying, yep, I completed that competency, move on to the next one. One of the things that I really took away is that you made the comment is that we don't have the same lived experiences. I had to take a step back with even some of the patients I've seen and go, yeah, you're right. Like when this parent calls and tells me that they're not going to bring their child because of X, Y, and Z, the circumstance they're in, I have never had that lived experience. And what all is included in that because of their reason for not being able to come. And it's a completely different lived experience than what I have. And so I think that really has opened my eyes to every patient that walks in my door has a different lived experience than I do. And that's something that I need to be taking into consideration when I'm entering into this therapy plan of care with them. That kind of speaks to that cultural humility part of it. And just understanding that you don't have the same experience and you're moving from a different place. I've kind of explored this topic over, I would say, at least five years. I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination. There's much more well-versed people in the area of um, health equity and diversity. I think they go hand in hand. I don't want to come across as thinking that I'm some expert, but I just feel like it's an important topic for us to all consider and all explore. And there's a ton of resources out there. You just have to look for them. And it's just really interesting to read the differences that are still present in our country in the care that people receive and the differences that are still present in our country in the diversity of the pool of healthcare providers. Those are all things that we should talk about, feel comfortable talking about, because that's how change happens is when we kind of lean into those kinds of discussions. So what have you found? I know you discussed the COVID lens, and I really never looked at it through that lens until obviously last March when we all had to look through that COVID lens. But we're coming up with different ways to treat patients, different ways maybe they can't get into the clinic where that may have been an issue prior to COVID, but we never made that change to accommodate for those clients that were not able to make it in the clinic. Now, all of a sudden, because of COVID, now we're making those changes, transitioning to telehealth and maybe trying to do more education to the patient themselves so that they can do a little bit more follow-up care at home. So how have you transitioned using that COVID lens that you might continue to do after COVID is over and finish to kind of hit or target those people that it might not have the accessibility that everyone else has? The COVID pandemic has really changed our lives, everybody's lives mm -hmm. quite a bit and has a lot of negativities that came with it. But one thing that you do see, like you're saying and kind of reiterating is suddenly when COVID happened, suddenly nobody could really go anywhere. So we really all felt the experience of those people that have issues with accessibility that live rurally that are like hundreds of miles away from the specialized healthcare provider that they need, or somebody that has accessibility issues with being able to get into certain facilities and things of that nature, or there's restrictions with transportation like we were talking about. And so I kind of feel like not only did everybody fit into that category, but it pressured us as healthcare providers mm -hmm. because we also had to find a way to survive when none of our patients could get in. It wasn't like a drop of them here or there. So it meant more to us. Right. Like it's kind of sad mm -hmm. a little bit. Right. Before it was a few people here and there, and maybe it didn't matter as much, which is 
ah, I hate to hear those words come out of your mouth, but that's like some of the talking about it and getting uncomfortable with having those challenging discussions. It has helped us to kind of embrace technologies that are maybe challenging to figure out how to integrate. It takes extra time in your day to figure it out when you're first getting rolling, to come up with a variety of ways of using resources or doing things in a new way. And whenever you're doing things in a new way, it takes a little extra work for you. But it really has changed the way we're able to offer our services. And I also, probably over the last four or five years, whenever I'm taking care of somebody, I ask them at the end of an evaluation when I'm first getting to know somebody, if they feel like I did a good enough job and if I answered all of their questions or if there's anything they're worried about that I didn't get to. And I don't tell them how often I think they need to come in. It's like a decision between us. I say, this is what I think is going on. This is how often this needs to be worked on for it to get better. Sometimes it may be too difficult for somebody to get in twice a week. They can only come in every so often. And we kind of make a game plan between the two of us as to what's going to be the best plan for them. Because I have found if I just try to push somebody into the square where I feel like they need to fit, because that's what I think, sometimes it just doesn't work out. And then I'm like, well, why aren't they here? Well, it's because I wasn't listening in the first place. They have small children at home and they can't leave them and they can't bring four of them into the office, four kids into the office. It's just too much. They can't even focus on themselves when they're there. Listening and understanding who the person is and all the facets of who they are. And also if there's resources that they need to help them. I've really discovered some of the resources in my area for transportation to be able to get people resources for transportation when they don't have that, which is sometimes a little bit of some extra work for you. But then you know, you get in the groove of it and, and it helps people. So I think those are the kinds of things that we really have to think about because it ends up being better care when you match it with the person that you're caring for. You're meeting your patient where they're at and having that collaboration and letting the patient help with the decision-making. These things about empowering our patients. And that's a perfect example of letting them in on the decision-making so that they can bring, again, their lived experience. I work for the same hospital. One of our outpatient facilities is able to take limited insurances because of an accreditation that it has. But if I walk across the street and see the person in the hospital, I can pretty much see anybody. So we've recently changed to, so anybody that needs a certified hand therapist, I'm running over there to treat them over there so that they're not losing that quality care. Then running back to the other facility, time-wise, it doesn't behoove me to go back and forth, but it's to give our members of the community the best service that they can get regardless of what their insurance is where before they either just didn't get the service or they were seen by the pediatric therapist who has minimal experience in hands and they got whatever they got. That doesn't cut it for me. They deserve the best, the same care as anybody else in the community. So you touched on something earlier too, when we were talking about COVID before COVID hit, our patients probably did have these same limitations or similar limitations and they weren't as loud of an issue or we weren't listening to them as much. But we recognize that, or fingers crossed, that COVID won't be around forever. But our patient, those, a lot of those experiences, a lot of those limitations are going to stick around. And so whether we're pre-pandemic, in the pandemic, or even post, like there's still going to be those experiences and those just differences or our inequalities that our patients are going to face. And so I, I think that's an important point that you make is that 
this isn't just a right now in the middle of this COVID experience. It's, these are things that we're going to have to continue to have those conversations, continue to assess what modifications we need to make in our practice, assess what we need to do, what changes we need to make for our patients. And I think we also have to think about legislative kind of things too, because the pandemic and the public health emergency allowed us to be able to provide telehealth services it kind of hit the fast forward button for us because everybody across the nation was in lockdown. They couldn't go anywhere. These services were necessary and there still are people. It's not going to be the entire population of the United States, but there still are people that are going to need to have services, telehealth services, whether that's the only way they can receive services or even if it's just extension of in-person care. For instance, somebody that lives, like I said, one of the slides I had was that map where I was showing the distance between certain locations in the U.S. where certified hand therapists were. And it was hundreds of miles. So there's people living places where they're quite a distance away. I live in a really fairly densely populated area, and there's a lot of certified hand therapists near where I live, but there's an area that's probably like an hour north of me. And whenever I have somebody from there, I'm like, oh, Lord, is that where you're from? Because <laughs> I'm like, you're in the hole of no hand therapy. <laughs> There's no certified hand therapist up there. There's no, like, you got to go like up to York, Pennsylvania, or like way up in Delaware, or you got to come down and see me. I'm like, God bless it in heaven. Let's make this easier for you. I'm in Texas and as a pediatric hand therapist, really experienced that, especially going West 700 miles, you're still in Texas and you're not going to find somebody. So for us, telehealth was a huge change, but you know, I'll be honest, we are starting to even see some of those resources being pulled back, which is unfortunate. So I think you're right. I think advocacy and that those legislative changes, we have to be a voice for these patients too, to provide these services. People are still going to need services after this is all over. Just because it's not everybody doesn't mean they're not important. That's what health equity is, is that everybody should have an equitable chance at achieving equivalent health outcomes. So they don't get the same services to get there. They may need different services or more services or extra resources to help achieve that. But that's what we should be striving for, not just make everybody fit into the box of what we want to do because that works best for us. Do you mind telling our listeners maybe how they can become proactive in promoting advocacy of equitable care? I would say, first of all, delving into the learning. I already said that, so I'm not going to go into a ton of detail about that. But there's a ton of books, podcasts, all sorts of resources. There's different Facebook groups that focus on equity in healthcare. I would say looking for legislation that helps to promote accessibility of care. So think about things like telehealth. Does telehealth extend accessibility of care for people? Yes. That's probably something I want to get behind because I want to promote health equity. Do you want to look at legislation around insurance coverage and making sure people have sufficient insurance coverage to be able to meet their needs and for them to live a good quality of life and a healthy, engaged life. 
I think of diversity in the healthcare workforce. That's something that's very important. I can't think of the legislation off the top of my head, but there's a diversity in healthcare legislation that I think passed through the Senate and is going to the House. I might have it mixed up. And ASHT supported that. And then when it goes to the House, you should get behind that too, because improved diversity helps to improve care for people from racial and ethnic groups that are not well represented or represented in smaller percentages. If they have people that share the same cultural lens, there's research that shows that those people tend to provide care in those communities. They provide better care to those people. They also understand some of the barriers, so they're going to be better thought leaders in that area. That kind of legislation and also supporting leaders in our field, people of color, to be able to be able to lead the charge and, and get behind them because they hold the lens. They understand the barriers better than me as a white woman. I do encourage our members to become ASHT members to help let their voice be heard? Or what other things can they do? We're talking about as healthcare providers, the group hand therapists, certified hand therapists, or people that are interested in achieving their CHT, people that are in the hand rehabilitation world, they could become engaged in volunteering within ASHT. Also, I encourage if you are from a diverse background, whether that's from racial, ethnic, sex, there's a lot of women in hand therapy. I don't know if anybody has noticed that. We are mainly white, so people from different racial groups, it's important to have those voices present and for us to be able to listen and engage and in all aspects of our society and just kind of weave that in. So I know that you shared during your address that what AOTA kind of named their diversity plan and as well as APTA, kind of what they're specifically doing. Can you speak to anything that ASHT specifically is owning and driving this opportunity to increase workplace diversity or even diversity within our our organization? It's actually a quite recent discussion at the board level. So we are talking about engaging in diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. We're kind of in the exploration phase because what we do recognize is as a board and as leaders that we are non-diverse. So we are made up of primarily white women. We need to be working with subject matter experts, so people that have been working at diversity, equity, and inclusion work for years to help to guide us through what our process should be, where we should have this woven in. I feel like this should be kind of infused within everything that we do at ASHT and figuring out how we're going to do that. Perhaps looking at a group that advises the board to some capacity. So I would say we're in the very beginning stages and we're definitely not as well fleshed out as AOTA and APTA, but we are starting to have those discussions. And I would just look for those kinds of things coming over the next year of just information on what that's going to begin to look like. Well, thank you so much, Rachel, for joining both Kara and I this evening. We really appreciate you taking the time out to talk with us. And you are a wonderful guest. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks You're so welcome. much. All thank right. Thank you. You've been listening to Hands in Motion, brought to you by the American Society of Hand Therapists. To learn more about ASHT and to subscribe to the show, please visit ASHT.org. We'll see you next time on the Hands in Motion podcast.